If you take your Bibles, please, and you would turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And when you find your place, uh, if you have your Bible, if you find your place, please stand up and, and we'll read this short passage. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Father, we just uh, praise you for your word. We pray that this morning, for the next few minutes, uh, this passage will grip the hearts of believers and unbelievers alike. That would draw us to light and out of darkness. We thank you for Faith Bible Church, how you've preserved it and protected it. We pray for hard hearts to become soft today and drawn to you. So we just want to hear from you and your word. Help me make that clear, Father, and uh, keep pointing to you. Pray your Holy Spirit dominates all our actions this morning. In your holy name, amen. You may be seated. My message to you this morning is entitled simply Evangelism. This is not an exhaustive look at biblical evangelism, but it's meant to encourage and examine our obedience to this call. Get this. Every day on the face of the earth, it's estimated that 150,000 people die. That's 5,000 250 people per hour. That's 104 per minute. Since I've been talking, two have died every second. Bam, bam, lives are going. Where are they going? Heaven or hell? The Bible says that there's only two places they go, heaven or hell. The Bible says that there's only two places, heaven or hell. The greatest tragedy in the world is the alarming mass of humanity that are lost, unsaved, and they're enemies of God. Ever since the great fall in the Garden of Eden, all men have since that time been imputed with the sin of Adam. All men born into this world have been cursed by the fall in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because of Adam and Eve's active rebellion against God, all men are guilty and will face God's infinite justice when they stand before him. All men are born into this world and are dead in the trespasses of their sins. Colossians 2.13 says, if you want to write these verses down as we go, it's just good to come back and examine them as a go-to place for uh, the condition of the world and condition of our soul. 
All men are born into this world and dead in the trespasses of the sins. And then Colossians says, we were dead in our transgressions and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. This is a grievous condition of the fallen world. It should be grievous to think that since we've been talking, people are perishing. This is a great tragedy. True believers should often reflect on the condition of souls. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are foreigners. We're aliens. We don't belong here. And we have been given the stewardship of God's message to the lost. And we are all called to evangelize. This morning, for the love of souls and to fulfill God's call, let's encourage one another to make a fresh look at evangelism. We all know this, but we must remind one another that there is, there is a broad path that is leading multitudes of our family members and friends and even enemies to an unimaginable destruction. You and I must eagerly share both the bad news and the good news with the lost. The condition of our soul is measured by our compassionate desire to bring God's message of redemption to the unregenerate. When we share the gospel, God is put on display and is glorified in our obedience. If we fail getting the message across, still he is glorified. Be encouraged by that. God is a lover of souls, and thus Christians are to be lovers of souls. Charles Spurgeon had such a concern for the lost, he commented, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertion. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Spurgeon was obedient to the call of evangelism. We are called to pray with tears in our eyes, and if not in our eyes, in our hearts. Sorry. I've read this over, gone over this many times, but it's amazing how the Spirit begins to just move your heart at the depth of the sinfulness of mankind and you're wanting to go after souls. It's just amazing to me. To guard us from complacency, it is good to reflect upon the torments of hell. Jesus spoke much about hell and its eternal punishment. The 18th century American theologian that some of you know, Jonathan Edwards, was concerned with the early American colonies because they were as a growing cold indifference to the gospel. He was moved to preach a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the result of that famous sermon, it ignited a fire in the hearts of his congregation that began nearly a 20-year revival called the Great Awakening. That happened in New England. Evangelism, is, is, evangelism motivated George Whitfield, the 18th century preacher who said, God forbid that I should travel with anybody for 15 minutes without speaking of Christ to them. That's a love for compassion that we should all have for lost souls. 
if God were to allow us for one minute to open the doors of hell and reflect upon the scene and the sounds of God's perfect, eternal judgment, <laughs> excuse me, and torment, I think uh, it, we would be so emotionally grieved, as I'm touching on now, for the rest of our, our lives, that we would gasp and shudder as we hear the weeping and the screaming and the gnashing of teeth for the lost souls who have rejected the good news of the gospel. This is serious business. Evangelism is sharing first the bad news, man's eternal state, and then the good news of God's redemption. God, being rich in mercy, has given us good news to share. The gospel is good news. Seriously, we should leap for joy that God has given to us this message to share with those that have not heard of God's love. The message of being rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We should be, of all people, we should be filled with incomprehensible joy. Now remember, there are two deaths. There is the physical death and there is the physical death. We must all face the first death. And unbelievers must also all contemplate with fear the second death. The first death, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man to die once. After this comes the judgment. And then the second death is revealed in Revelations 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. To illustrate the fear of the first death, my son, Justin, many years ago, was on the Oregon coast, and they got a call late in the day, get in the boat, go out and try to find this guy that called in and said his vessel is going down. He was fishing, had his little dog. They went out into the day, fog's coming in, and they're about ready to give up. And someone spotted something out there. They went to the place, and as they moved in, they saw the expression on this man's face that was ghastly. He was being rescued out of physical death and brought back into this boat to safety. And watch that face change from fear and trembling to, I can't believe I'm saved. That's the first death. Think of the people in Turkey not too long ago, pulled from the rubber, rubble. Do you remember looking at their faces? Can't believe I'm alive. And their, and their relatives just uh, amazed that they were saved from that first death. Now, in the second death, the death of eternal, the death of the eternal soul, I give the example of uh, my mother-in-law, Joyce. Um, a few months before she passed away, not too long ago, I found her weeping at a table. She was finishing up breakfast. I says, Joyce, what's going on? She says, I'm praying for my unconverted souls and their families and their friends. So in the second death, we either weep and grieve for the destination of the unrepented soul, or we rejoice in the miraculous conversion of a lost soul rescued by the good news and given eternal life with the risen Lord, our Savior. 
Oh, the incomprehensible joy of seeing a dead soul delivered from the torment of eternal death to the eternal glory of the kingdom of God. Have you ever experienced that? When you do, you leap for joy. In my message for this morning, I'd like to address three questions. Number one, what is evangelism? And then number two, who evangelizes? And number three, what's the motivation for evangelism? Number one, what is evangelism? From Genesis to Revelation, the theme of the Bible is that God created, man fell, God redeems, and consummation is assured. We are glorified, we are made complete in Christ. So first, simply put, evangelism is sharing both the good and the bad news of man's condition. The basic scriptural message is God is infinitely holy and just. He created man with dignity and great worth to be his image bearer and to reflect his glory. But man, he was to love, obey, and worship, and give glory to him. But he was deceived, and he disobeyed God's commandments. And since then, he's a sinner. He's condemned to God's perfect wrath and justice which God's very character demands be carried out because of his holiness. But God redeems and then calls and draws a converted soul to see truth. He takes blind eyes and gives them sight to see. He opens ears to hear of the great sacrifice of the Lamb of God who took the curse of God's wrath, and he sets souls free from the bondage of sin. And this is secured by Christ substituting his own life for the sinner. This converted soul is brought into the family of God and he's united with Christ and his church, the bride. Evangelism is when true believers bring this loving message of the gospel, a message of hope and life eternal to an unbeliever. An evangelist is called and created to go to the unsaved, the lost, to proclaim God's message of his love to the unregenerate. God created the believer to bring his message to the blind, the spiritually spiritually dead in the world. He presents the message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Secondly, evangelism is informing that he must confess his sin, his sinful condition. If you confess your sins, the scripture says, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But man must see the dangerous condition of his soul and confessed he has sinned against God. And thirdly, evangelism is the charge that we in the church need to be verbally engaged in. We are to plead for the unsaved soul to repent, turn from self to Christ. Um, We are to plead for the unsaved to repent and then acknowledge the state 
of their doomed souls. They've got to realize that they are doomed. Acknowledge that. Understand that. The Lord is not slow as some count slowness, but is patient towards us, not wishing that any perish, but for all to come to repentance. These scriptures have to be deeply embedded into your thinking so you can go talk to people, share with love love towards lost souls. Fourthly, evangelism also informs the sinner to beg and plead for mercy. The Pharisee in Luke 18, he boasted in his good works. He did all these good things. But by contrast, the tax collector, his head was low and it was burdened with sin and guilt. And he beat his chest and he cried out to God. He said, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was convinced of his guilt before God. No argument. He knew he was in a bad state. Finally, we must share with the lost that they must trust, place their faith in God, depending upon him and not self. It's not a shallow, variable faith, but in realization of there being no other place to turn, an all-out allegiance to trust in God, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost. And like you would trust a parachute at 10,000 feet because the wings of your airplane fell off. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So here we've seen, we've seen God's love, uh, the confession of sin, man's repentant from that sin, and man's crying out for mercy man's trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to memorize, at least have these concepts, these biblical truths on our tongues and in our minds and ready for that next person that we run into. Another effect of evangelism is using biblical words to share what Jesus did for sinners. He came to set men free so they would pursue holiness, which brings Glory to God. Use biblical words like God is holy. He created all things. Man fell. God redeems. And in the person of Christ will reign with his bride, the church, infinitely. These are the foundational words that God uses to evangelism. You can expound on these. You can become much more detailed. But this is basic. This is what we need to start with. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Let me, try, let me try to wet this whistle a little bit. Sorry. Evangelism is not imposing our will upon people. It's not verbally sparring. It's not apologetics, making arguments for God. It's not my testimony. It's not majoring on myself. It's not being a nice person and inviting people to church. Yes, those approaches, they have their place. But evangelism is primarily, it's sharing the biblical message of God. Conversions are the sole work of God's work, not our ingenious acts of, of verbiage. And thus we must use it. We must use his word because that's where the power comes from. 
Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God who saves, not my cleverness. It's not about me. It's all about him. We just lovingly, compassionately bring the message to them. The first thing that we are to do before we evangelize, though, is to devote ourselves to prayer. I can't emphasize the importance of that. God loves it when we come to him and beg for souls. He loves it. And you'll see the results, the difference. The church, the redeemed, are to evangelize, always preceded by prayer. Paul says in Colossians 4 that we are to be alert with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying for us at the same time as well, that God would open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I might make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Ephesians 6 says, uh, Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all uh, perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray, he begged, he says, pray on my behalf. Paul saying this, that the utterance may be given to me and the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in preaching it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We all want to be bold enough to speak the gospel, but with great humility. Prayer is an ongoing privilege and a shield in all our endeavors. Satan wishes for us to be silent in prayer and fearful in evangelism. You can be sure. Check your heart on that one. Christ set our example of prayer in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Paul and the disciples throughout the New Testament gave examples, give examples. The Old Testament prophets like David, Samuel, Ezra, Jonah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many more, you know them. Those, they depended upon God's power and not their own to accomplish his work. They went to him by prayer and begged for his presence and his accomplishment in their lives. So we pray, asking, speaking, begging God for souls in this first, uh, begging God for souls is the first place that we must start. Got to start there first. It's not in my own cleverness and not in my own strength. Number two, who evangelizes? Like Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And then in Matthew 28, remember how we started this? Go, therefore, and make disciples of, of them. We are all commanded to go. We evangelize them, and then we make disciples. And then 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And in these things, uh, things you've heard from me, many generations going down the road, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 1 Peter 1.15 said, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks 
you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Paul in Colossians gives instruction on how we should respond and speak to each person, speaking with grace. He says, do it seasoned with salt. And he continues on in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. May we be gentle, clear, and concerned. God's word calls all believers everywhere to evangelize. It is our blessed privilege to be able to call as ambassadors to preach the gospel in season and out of season. For indeed, how would they hear without a preacher? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Romans 10, 14 and 15. We are all called to go, introverts, extroverts alike. The intention of our message is to persuade men by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must be intentional. So we must be willing to take our human responsibility very seriously. And yet we, always, we are always to be prayerfully yielded to God's divine sovereignty. J.I. Packard said, we must never forget that it is God who saves and it is God who brings men and women under the sound of the gospel. And it is God who brings them to faith in Christ. We are the instruments in the hand of God. Great thoughts to allow, allow your mind to prevail upon. Continually remind yourself to trust in the power of the gospel for saving souls. And as we prayerfully formulate our presentation of the gospel, trust God's living word to convert the hearts of stone into the hearts of flesh. We cannot personally save anyone. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We're just grinding this in so it makes sense. It's, it's the assembly of the church that is to corporately go out and evangelize. It's you people. The more we discuss evangelism with one another, the more it catches fire in our hearts and that we are to go out and evangelize, evangelize in obedience. The culture of the church is transformed into a Christ-like assembly. There's a good number of you men and women here at Faith Bible uh, Church. Your, your friends and your workers, you talk about your friends, your workers that you're sharing your faith with. It encourages all the more. When I hear your stories, we talk to one another about what God is doing in the hearts of, of unsaved family and friends and acquaintances. Evangelism becomes contagious and it, it conforms us into obedience to God's will. It's not just a duty, but it's a God-given command. And we're going to delight in it. Believe me, you will love it. And we love hearing these testimonies from you people. It encourages the rest of us. In the quipping hour, on Sunday mornings, uh, that in turn uh, encourages us to be bold too. We're hearing from you people, and it just it, uh, it moves us forward. And I, I believe that God honors the unity of the body and the and, and and that mode going forth, it unites us. There's great power in sharing our experiences with one another. We are excited to go out and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Christ has taught us. It's a mission we as an assembly share. 
When the church as a loving body of Christ are taking about, talking about evangelism and sharing our experiences with the lost, there is a collective atmosphere of unity. The power of the Holy Spirit compels healthy believers to corporately evangelize. And thirdly, what is the motivation for evangelism? Most importantly, our evangelism is driven by our love for God himself. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength. When we're in that place is when we can be used. That's what drives us. Look at what he did in your life. Our highest motivation, uh, we love him because he first loved us, the scripture says. He demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you believe that? He went to the cross for us. So we are compelled by our contemplation of our own salvation. Just meditate upon what you have been saved from and into. Think about that some night when you close your, ni- your eyes. Think about what you've been saved out of and into. When you examine, you open those doors of hell and look in there where all eternity is to be spent. Think about what you've been saved from. Before we were saved, we were dead. At least I was. Doomed and damned. And it was by God's amazing grace that wretches like us were transformed into being true believers that are filled with indescribable joy. A person that is condemned to the gallows and then is mercifully set free by the judge himself because the perfect law keeper stepped up out of love to pay the condemned man's debt and substituted his own life for the guilty person's life. The condemned person would be shouting and jubilation of his own salvation, and then don't you think he would be sharing it with the good news with others? The transaction with all those who he comes in contact with? Brothers and sisters, we of all people should be filled with incomprehensible exuberance. Joy is the second component in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love should be expressed. If we are truly believers, love for lost souls, love for one another. We're not a dark, gloomy, self-absorbed people. No, joy should be a visible attribute in our daily walk. So evangelism is the God-ordained call to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all that Jesus taught them. Got that memorized now? Next, we're commanded to go make disciples by the Lord himself. And the examples given throughout Scripture, Paul used uh, 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Peter said, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, we are compelled to preach the gospel and we are always to be ready to make a defense for those that ask of the hope that is in us. 
But a command is one thing. But because of our own redemption, we now love the lost. We ourselves have been the object of God's love when we were his enemies, and so in turn should show compassion for the lost, unbelieving souls. Paul expressed his love for the lost when he said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, Romans 10.1. Uh, remember John Newton, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. When evangelism and sharing the gospel, you will notice that most unbelievers have a misconception about God. We've got to explain who this God is. And self, who this self is. We are very mis we are misled in what God's self and then what sin is. So number one, most unsaved people believe that God is just a little bit better than man and that he will accept them the way they are and overlook their little sins. They don't believe that God could be greatly offended by our sins as they have a very small view of God. It's the way I was. By contrast, God is in infinitely holy and the creator of the entire universe. He's just, he's wise, he's unchanging, he's truthful, he's good, he's gracious and loving, just to name a few of his holy attributes. First Samuel, Samuel 2, 2 says, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you nor is there any rock like our God. He's infinitely holy, this God. He's not a little God. He's incomprehensible. Number two, what does an unbeliever believe about self? He's certainly not as bad as others. Often I'm much better and that uh, if there's a God, he will judge on a curve and lovingly overlook my sins. That's the way I thought. They don't feel their sins are offensive to God. Yet Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what Jeremiah had to say. Number three, and what a person believes about sin is erroneous. They believe God will overlook their little sins as long as they try to be a good person and do some good works for humanity, working to earn favor with God and possibly tip the scales in their favor. So with the unbeliever's unbiblical view of God, self, and sin, we can use God's living word to prayerfully awaken a sinner's misconceptions. I encourage you to share your own presentation of the gospel with family and friends and church members. And I know, I hear the hearts of you. I know some of you are. It's very complex and it's very difficult, I know. And that's why Paul prayed for boldness. You will become excited about the prospect of your sharing as you step out in faith. There are unlimited opportunities. Fan the fire as you examine the gospel in your own lives and it will fuel your affections. Just look at how you got saved. Examine that. Did you deserve it? No, we all deserved his wrath. 
Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Daily test yourself. Examine yourself. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. If we are truly saved, this is amazing. We want to share the gospel with as many as we can. I've used these scriptural guidelines above to engage with a few people from my past, but I know everyone's approach will be based on his or her God-given gifts and personalities, and yet we are to all told to go share the gospel. My approach will ref reflect both my strengths and my weaknesses of my personality, but it is a biblical attempt to share the gospel. We're all different. We come from different backgrounds, different settings, but the message never changes. Someone shared with me years ago that they were told that someone else didn't particularly like their method of sharing the gospel. And when this friend asked the other how they might have shared with another, they replied with, I guess I don't really share the gospel, to which my friend admitted in love, well, perhaps my not-so-good attempt at sharing the gospel is a little bit better than your no attempt. We can't just give up. You know, encourage one another, pray for one another, but you've got to move the lips. You've got to go after hearts. Share your, your evangelism experiences with one another. Learn from one another. I want to hear from you. You want to hear from me. And there's a mass of people here that we can share what it took to grip your heart for Christ. Uh, I'd like to share just a couple of attempts I've made over the years. I, I, I've been a Christian for about 50 years. Crazy. Can't believe it. I remember I used to count the years from 1973. Man, I've been saved for 75. I've been saved 76. And it seemed, but now it's 50 years. So in that period of time, I was given the opportunity to share the gospel uh, with a, a friend of mine. This was back in 1973 or 4. I used John 3 as my go-to passage where Jesus instructed Nicodemus, uh, the young ruler of the Jews, that he must be born again. And after sharing with this friend, sorrow wept over his soul. He began to weep over his sins, and he repented right then. It's amazing. He was trusting Christ as his Lord and Savior. His wife looked on and watched, tears coming down her face. He says, I want to do what my husband just did. What do I do? I'll never forget that moment as, as I thought it was the norm of evangelism. It was really my first experience of, of having a friend that I just wanted to share with. But time revealed that this couple's repentance was probably a, a, a worldly repentance rather than a godly repentance described in 2 Corinthians 7. Shortly after their profession of faith, and I don't think it was possession of faith, I moved away, and regretfully, I was not able to mentor them. And the couple did not get discipled or regularly attend church or seek Christian friends. Their marriage failed multiple times, and there was no positive evidence of fruit in the years that followed. The seed appeared to have fallen on rocky soil. They heard the word and immediately received it with joy and yet with no firm root. And then affliction, a persecution arose. When that came into their lives, they fell away, Matthew 13, 20. 
Now, 50 years later, I'm still in contact with my friend through text and praying for wisdom once again in my long-distance gospel presentation. During that same time friend, uh, time frame, I was sharing with a coworker many years ago. Uh, I, I tried all my feeble attempts. Uh, I used um, Bill Bright's Four Spiritual Laws, if you, if you remember that. Um, tracks, all sorts of tracks. James Kennedy Evangelism Explosion. I was into this guy. He was a good friend. He was a great worker, and, and I just wanted to see him get saved. And I used all these methods and resources. And I read to him Bible passages like Romans 3.23, the Romans road, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8. Maybe that would get him. Maybe that would go after his heart. And I made statements like, if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? How do you suppose you might respond to that, my friend? I knew very little about God's word in those early years, but I enough to know that I was a new creature. Something was raging inside of me. Old things had passed away, and behold, new things have come, 2 Corinthians. And because I was deeply concerned for my friend, I was compelled to conv convince him that he was going to go to hell, my friend, and into the fiery furnace if he didn't repent and trust in Christ as a savior. About 25 years ago, he called me up sobbing on the phone, begging that I would pray for him as he was dying of melanoma cancer. He passed away five days later. I didn't see enough evidence in his life that he was saved. I still grieve for that soul. Recently, I met a young man in a gas station uh, I began to develop a relationship with him, talking to him as I drive in and fill up my tank. I found out that he was the only survivor of seven young men that had fallen through the ice on a lake near where I used to live. All of the others drowned. A few years after that, he had his arm cut off, right about there, cut off in a logging accident. And he'd, he'd spent years in prison for violent crimes, with knives and guns, all sorts of creepy things that I can't go into. I said, Russell, God has for some reason spared your soul. Could we talk? But after my sharing the gospel with him repeatedly, he said, I think I'm okay with God. Didn't see any signs of life. He's gone away now. I don't know where he is. Uh, Brenda and I went back to Jackson, Mississippi last year. Uh, just a dried up zoo, hardly any, it's a hundred year old zoo, and a little lady was going around in a, uh, a little car and helping people with the questions they needed to ask. And, and I engaged in conversation to find out that she had lost most of her family members to drugs and violence. I started asking questions, I shared the gospel. And then there was the gentleman in the airplane um, and you start asking questions. This guy was a wallpaper contractor that went all over the United States dealing with movie stars and rich people. We talked to him, and he seemed to respond to the... He listened. We don't know. I don't know where he is now. Uh, uh, there's another man that was in the movie. Uh, I was going to Shepherd's Conference one year and sat next to this guy and, and said, say, hey, how are you doing? What are you guys doing? And he said, where are you guys going? I said, well, we're going to the Shepherd's Conference. And 
There we talk about eternal things. We talk about God's word. There's men from all over the country. He was deeply uh, leaning forward to that. He had a cross around his neck, and I said, see that cross? That's what Christ did for us. We had, you know, a two-hour flight, so it was a good conversation. I don't know. I don't know where it ended up. Um, well, let's see. I got kind of going there. Or, or uh, let's see, let's see, see. But the common message I shared with these, with these people, this is where you've got to go. The common message is that God is holy, that he had created man to have a relationship with him. But because of sin, man fell away, and that because of God's holiness, that relationship was broken. Yet because of God's love and mercy, he made a way, he reached out to us, he redeemed man back to himself by sending his only sinless son to die on the cross in our place, to pay the price of death on our behalf. And then to raise him again by the power of the Holy Spirit, to raise him to victory over that penalty of death, so that through faith and trust in his provision, we too might live again. That if man will confess his sin and turn to Christ, trust in him with all their heart and, and being uh, and all their heart and being, and we might have eternal life with him and be saved from an eternal death in hell. We're going over and over this. Get it in there and share it with one another. I'm not sure, aware of many that were saved by my gospel presentations in 50 years, but I'm encouraged that God's majesty was displayed and that he was glorified throughout. How about you? How are you doing? Some seed, you know, when I think of those early conversions, Matthew 13, some seed fell beside the road, birds ate them up, some fell on rocky soil, quickly sprang up, but the sun scorched them, and they died because no depth of soil, and then some fell among thorns. But finally, some fell on good soil and yielded good crops, some a hundredfold. About three years ago, Julie Clark uh, asked me to uh, talk to this young man that was out here in the foyer, and I happened to be around, I guess. I don't remember. It's been three or four years ago. He was carrying a backpack on his shoulders, and when we first met, I asked him if he'd ever heard of John Bunyan's story, Pilgrim's Progress. He just looked like John Bunyan. And I said, young man, you remind me of that pilgrim that had the weight of sin on his back in the form of a huge backpack. The young man allowed me to share with him Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and will, you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I had several more encounters with this young man, and then he moved away. He'd been gone for, I don't know, three, four years. And about six months ago, I get this text. He texts me to say that he's joined a healthy, reformed church in Florida. 
where he is being discipled by two elders, and he's on the worship team. He said, Steve, I know you see a lot of people come and go, but I wanted to encourage you on FBC that God has brought me from darkness into light. And last week, I connected with him. I want to see what he's doing last week. So I thought I'm going to text him. And, and he said, well, that's funny you should ask. I'm doing great. He says, I'm actually leading a Bible study, and it's found in, in, in Hebrews. He was taking a, a men's study through Hebrews. I mean, I don't know, but it sounds good at this point. So once in a while, you hear those positive stories, and you get pretty excited. Um, it's a narrow gate, and few are they that find it. Had this other friend, lots of stories. I hope this isn't distracting. Have another friend, and many years ago, about 40 years ago, we were, we'd worked together, building homes together. Just a great guy. He had many tragedies come into his life, and I was able to kind of comfort and encourage and sustain him biblically, shared the gospel a multitude of times. He got married, got divorced. And I went, oh, man. And, uh, and then stayed in touch a couple more times. But I haven't heard from him, and I think it's been over 15 years. He calls me up out of the blue. Interesting, I'm just getting ready to do this message. He calls me up, just, it was last week. He says, Steve, just wanted you to know, you poured into my life, and you, you did some amazing things with me. You stood by me. He said, I want to tell you, I got married. Uh, I'm going to reform church, and I'm deeply engaged in Bible studies in the church. And I mean, you hear those once in a while, two in 50 years, you know. It's, it's just amazing. But the scripture that he used that sustains him and drives him forward is, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Just okay, stay there, stay there, my friend. It's important that as Christians we develop some basic communication skills. Believe me, I was a shy introvert. And, and, and when God first captured my heart, but by God's grace, he has truly transformed me as I've fallen in love with souls and asked questions. I talk to the gasoline attendant. I love doing that. How's your day? How's it going? What's, what's going on in your life? Uh, just ask simple little questions. Um, uh, the guy that's waiting in line with you at the pharmacy, that was a fun one. Uh, your, neighbor, your neighbor over the fence, done those. You've got, you guys have been there. And while talking, walking down at the port, Brent and I go down to the port, we talk to people on the trail there. In waiting rooms at the hospital, I've been there a lot, and it's very interesting to talk to people in those offices. At weddings, at funerals, what a great place. While on jury duty, or at the lumber yard, great conversations. Um, I was getting some shots in my arm the other day, and this uh, little nurse, uh, she shared her life, it's just a mess. And... Uh, and I says, I says, my friend Izzy, how would you make the world a better place if you had the power to do so? It just opened up a conversation with, that we went until the next patient came in. Uh, Roxanne, the little old lady down here at the drugstore, the pharmacy, staring at trying to figure out which card to pick out. Brenda, after an, we, I said, ma'am, it's hard to find a card, isn't it? There's a lot of choices. She's just staggering around there, and. 
Brenda began to talk to her an hour later. We gave him her FBC card. Haven't seen her show up yet. But she was weeping and just wanted someone to love on her. Just pray that that seed fell on good soil. Um, I had a young, a young doctor check in my heart. Uh, I says, isn't the heart an amazing thing? I mean, how does this do this? And he says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I said, where do you go to church? <laughs> and he said, Grace Baptist. And I said, oh, man, yeah, that's great. Um, if it's someone you don't know, it's simple. How are you doing today? If they engage, you can continue to ask questions. You can't push it. You know the, how conversations go. We're usually pretty busy. We've got to be to the next place. Uh, you want to know more about this person. And people usually like talking about themselves, I've found. People are interesting. They have stories with fascinating experiences. And people know when you're sincere and you're authentic. They really do. Just be gentle. Go after souls. Pray for them. So what's your story? Uh, I ask them, what makes you smile when you, you get up in the morning? I mean, just, just write down a few things to ask people and try it out. Just try it out. Just keep putting feelers out. Or how long have you um, lived in Hood River? You know, just simple. And it's amazing how it begins to, oh, really, your grandparents were born here? I mean, to me, that's exciting. Very quickly, troubles in the world tend to, tend to, and they, they come to the surface. They come to the forefront. And then you might say, it grieves me that you are going through so many troubles. It seems like most people I run into are dealing with much grief of some sort. And then you can go on. The Bible says that God is holy and just, and that he created the heavens and the earth and mankind, that very quickly man fell, he rebelled, he sinned against God, and he disobeyed just start sharing the gospel with them gently, reverently. Tell them there's hope. There's no use living in misery. There's hope. Sure, this world has tough things going on. I don't force it. I don't think we need to force it. Jesus never did. They, they need to see first that, that, you are, that you're, they're on their side. You're with them, and you're concerned for them. And often then I offer them an FBC card when I finish up with my name and number on the back. And then I invite them to, if they have any questions, give me a call. And hopefully they show up at church someday. Above all, my beloved brothers and sisters, you see we are but fishers of men. You throw the line in. If you don't get a bite, change the bait, cast somewhere else. We're fishers of men. That's what Christ told uh, Peter and, and John to do. And then you move on to the next hole. And for salvation is not from our words of cleverness. I have nothing clever to say. But it's by the Holy Spirit falling upon hearts and minds to open and enlighten them to the truth of the gospel. There's no language like it. There's no language like it. And Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Well, as we close now, Isaiah 52, 7 is quoted by Paul in Romans 10, 15. He said, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Since we have started this message, 
another 14,000 souls have died. Where did they go? Heaven or hell? Let's prayerfully encourage one another to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your, your call. Uh, thank you for using us people to evangelize. Uh, we are broken pots. We aren't perfect. We, we are imperfect. Um, even Paul says he didn't, uh, his speech wasn't polished. Uh, Moses was afraid to speak. And God, but use us. Use us in a powerful way here at Faith Bible Church. And God, if there be someone here that doesn't know you and has not repented of their sins, if they don't see that they're guilty, justly guilty before a holy God without repentance and confession and trust, God, just draw on that heart. We pray, God, that if that person's person or persons are here, you would ask uh, one of the elders, Chris, or the person next to them, what does it mean uh, to be born again? God, thank you for your message. I pray you take it to the hearts of men and women. I pray, God, that we would shine. We'd be a light in a dark place here at FBC. God, use us. We aren't perfect, we know that, but encourage us. Thank you for the unity of the body, that we can go out corporately and develop a, a, um, um, just an atmosphere here of, of discipleship. So pray you'd use us in a mighty way as long as we have breath, Father. It's appointed unto man to die once after this comes the judgment. God, thank you that you've given us hope in Christ. So call on the hearts of your people now. In Jesus' name, amen.